Hi, this is Matt from Working Fintech, and today we're delighted to be joined by Sebastian Vidman, who's Head of Strategy at Cormano. So hi, Sebastian. If you could please introduce yourself, give a bit of background about where you're from, where you studied, uh, and just a little bit of history before we kind of jump into what you're doing today. Definitely. Hi, Matt. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. I think it's a good opportunity to showcase um, where I come from, what I've done, as well as to outline the opportunity for new and similar students potentially to move in a career field. And myself, my name is Sebastian Whitman. I currently am the head of strategy at Comino, a regulated digital asset custody solution. I grew up in Italy in a multidisciplinary or multicultural environment in the north of Italy, where I spoke German and Italian. I attended a German school until I was 15 before moving to the UK to attend an international school and then later studying um, an entrepreneurship degree at University College London. And that's when I first um, got acquainted with digital assets and blockchain technology. I'm Italian, I speak German, um, I'm from the very north of Italy, so it's a region called South Tyrol. It's very um, multicultural, I think. There's a subset of the um, people that speak German as a first language, subset that speak Italian. My mother is a Venetian and my father is from uh, um, Bolzano, which is in South Tyrol. So I'm, I feel Italian, but also have a, a German roots at heart. And now you work for, or you did work for a, a Japanese bank. Um, you were in Nomura in the wholesale digital office. So what did that entail? Yeah. So after university, I studied um, entrepreneurship, economics, and Russian at UCL. At the time, I had a bit of exposures over the summer, so I completed summer internships in the financial services industry. I was working at Mediobank, yeah, a leading Italian investment bank, in the front office, focusing one summer on equity sales and the other summer in debt capital markets. After university, I wanted to try out um, what it was like to work at a bigger institution. So I decided to apply for Nomura, also for their front office summer internship. I did a number of rotations, um, ranging from research to strategy to a team called Client Ecosystem, which was very interesting because it was the first team that was sitting in the front office, but was really looking to um, lead the digital transformation of the front office. So looking to leverage third-party fintech tools, and new technologies to make the work um, of front office employees more efficient. And that's later got turned into the wholesale digital office. So the bank saw the importance of uh, digital transformation in banking and finance in general. And the wholesale digital office then grew bigger to encompass the AI strategy of the bank, the e-trading strategy, client ecosystem, fintech investments, as well as what I then moved into digital assets. So in January 2018, um, the bank decided to hire Jess Mohidin as chief digital officer. And the second day he joined, I was working for um, a very good friend and a mentor of mine who took me into the room with Jess and really presented my view of digital assets to him. And together, um, we launched the digital assets team and really started to look at how Nomura as a global investment bank could gain exposure to the overall um, digital asset segment and industry. Can you elaborate a little bit more on, on that mentor you mentioned? Because from a lot of the people we've had on a podcast before, there's been someone who's helped them or guided them or, or gave them some, some insight. Can you talk about your experience there? Definitely. So um, after my internship at Nomura, I received a number of offers. And you, so you do three months internship, you do rotate between teams, and then the teams choose um, which ones want to hire or offer you a full-time position. I was a bit in a dilemma because I worked in two teams which really liked the strategy team as well as the client ecosystem team. And they were quite similar. One was, you know, is a bit more important internally. I decided not to go for the more um, prestigious job 
or role in the organization, I decided to choose a manager as opposed to a team. And I, I think that was a very good decision because as you start off to your career, you really need people that see um, the potential in uh, young individuals and they really want to help you grow in that way. And uh, my former manager, Greg Butterworth, um, really helped me um, allowed me to explore. I was interested in digital assets since 2014. No more wasn't really active in the space, but he introduced me to multiple teams within the organization in London, as well as in Japan and uh, abroad that were working or researching that field. And so he really gave me the freedom to explore and see and, and actually follow my interest. And then later that turned into um, a new team that was set up where I was the first employee that really then set a stage to the next chapters of my career. Fantastic. Yeah, Craig Butterworth, we've had him on the series before. So if any listeners want to check that out, then, then do tune into his podcast. So so with the um, digital asset and blockchain strategy part of um, the broader kind of business, did you in effect kind of were running this as a, was it a kind of a one-man team to start and it grew quite rapidly from there? Third, yeah. So um, in late 2017, there was the last um, Bitcoin bull cycle. So you see that the price, uh, it was the first time that really broad media and that you heard Bitcoin on the trading floor. So there was a media outlet like Bloomberg speaking about the rapid rise of Bitcoin to 20,000, et cetera. And so it really started to gain, I think the first time institutional interest. I've been quite active in the field. And when I was at UCL, I was part of the UCL Center of Blockchain Technologies, where I published a couple of papers looking at blockchain in finance, as well as use cases outside and the challenges limiting its widespread potential. And so I was quite familiar with the technology and its potential. And internally, I started making some noise to my team as well as to other um, areas of the bank around Nomura being a Japanese entity and uh, with its culture being very innovative, looking at what the strategy of the overall bank was. There wasn't really a strategy. So back then, banks and I think financial services institutions in general believed in the potential of blockchain technology to create efficiencies in traditional finance, but really didn't believe in Bitcoin as a potential new asset class. However, with the rapid rise of Bitcoin, we did some research and most of the on-ramping, meaning from fiat to digital assets, was being done through Japan. And given that Nomura was uh, and still is one of the biggest FX franchises for the Japanese market, Japanese yen, um, I started making some noise around what is the strategy in this field and uh, what are we doing? Um, we didn't do too much, but then luckily um, we hired, uh, or no, the bank hired Jess Mohidin to lead um, the wholesale digital office. And I think the second day he joined, uh, Craig brought me to meeting room and I sat down with Jess to really align our vision. And to my surprise and uh, luck, he was quite aligned. He had his own vision. He believed in digital assets. He saw the potential and he really understood the technology as a potential segue to creating a new financial market infrastructure. And so together we set up the initial team. It was the two of us and then we grew it over time and we really looked how we could gain exposure or how the bank could gain exposure to the overall ecosystem. Initially, it was around, should we look at trading? Um, obviously, at the time, there wasn't the right market infrastructure that would allow an institution the size of Nomura with its regulatory oversight to tap the market in any form. And so we started looking at the broad challenges in the market that would hinder institutions to gain exposure to the asset class. And we noticed that custody um, was one of the main challenges. If you recall, there were a number of hacks also in Japan, and especially in Japan, CoinCheck around that period were over 550 million at the time, which I think now is over a billion dollars have equivalent of digital assets have been stolen. And so we analyzed the market overall and decided that any financial service institution or any institution overall 
that would want exposure to digital assets would at its foundation require a digital asset custody strategy. And given that there weren't any institutional grade custodians in the market back then, we decided to take the initiative to create our own one. And so we partnered with uh, two leading companies, uh, CoinShares, which was a leading digital asset fund manager, and uh, now is listed on the Swedish NASDAQ, as well as Ledger, the industry-leading digital asset security provider, to create Comino in the form of a joint venture, um, with also Nomura bringing in its institutional expertise and to really create the first regulated and institutional-grade custodian um, for digital assets. So who, who else exists in that ecosystem that you're operating in? In the ecosystem custody or digital asset ecosystem? I think in, the ecosystem... In, in crypto custody. Crypto custody. Okay, so if um, looking, and I gave a talk recently on the evolution of digital asset custody, um, there's different ways of storing digital assets, um, and there's different needs that any institution has. So digital asset custody, I think, was first coined around 2013, when you had companies like uh, Bitco and uh, Xapo um, hold private keys on paper wallets or hardware disks, and then store these in hyper-secure offline vaults. That was secure because it was very hard, or it's, it's very hard to go into these vaults and steal these private keys, but it's very inefficient in terms of if you were wanting to move assets from one address to another, it would take uh, anything from one to five days because it was a very manual process. So no institutions would be comfortable with that process and operational risk that it entails. Over time, um, the technology securing digital asset matured. Around 2018, uh, Ledger came out with the Ledger Vault, which was the first purpose-built hardware security module to really store digital assets in an offline way, but with the um, availability to move assets quickly. And we thought it was the right time to really come to market with an uh, institutional-grade offering, which had the security of cold storage solution, meaning that you would store the keys offline, whilst having the availability of assets of a warmer solution, which is something that exchanges used at the time. Um, there's a number of startup companies that have uh, also been active in the space, the likes of Bitco, Anchorage, uh, and uh, also more recently, we see that there has been increased interest from the institutional space and traditional financial service institutions see the need for a digital asset custodian. And so they're either investing or launching their own ventures. Um, predominantly, there is Fidelity with their um, subsidiary Fidelity Digital Assets, as well as uh, Standard Charter Ventures that uh, launched Zodia um, a year back. So for maybe kind of students that are playing around with crypto at the moment, you offer an institutional service of the secret passphrase where you're, you, you, are, you and your clients are handling the keys. And if, if your client forgets his secret passphrase that was written down on a bit of paper, you, that, that doesn't exist in your world where you can offer a, a fully kind of encrypted, um, regulated, authorized service around that instead. Yeah, so we hold keys on behalf of our customers and uh, we custody their digital assets in our solution. I think because of the nature of digital assets that enable new business models that haven't existed or don't exist in traditional finance and traditional custody, um, custody of commodities or securities, the role of a custodian really um, evolves and has evolved to date. So as a custodian, we provide custody, which is uh, the secure custody of assets. We provide regulated custody of these assets. And now we're really looking to expand the utility of custody. So today we actually announced Comino Yield, which is a new set of services that allows clients to earn yields on assets that they hold in custody with us at Comino. 
through staking projects uh, in the future through participation in decentralized finance. And it's really this new technology that enables new business models that are um, of interest to institutions that really enable to remove some of the intermediaries existing in the traditional financial market and create more efficiencies and more transparencies in, in this new way. And it starts with cryptocurrencies, um, but it's soon starting to move into more traditional assets and digital forms of traditional assets, whether that's currency. So we have stable coins and now um, a lot of uh, discussions around central bank digital currency but also traditional securities and our real estate being tokenized and represented in a digital form on a distributed ledger. So this kind of DeFi approach, taking it in, back into traditional assets. So, so in terms of crypto more generally, do you, do you as I suppose as a firm and personally, do you see crypto becoming the rails of the next iteration of the internet, i.e. kind of, you know, the metaverse, Web3 moving forward? Definitely. And I think it's not only crypto. Um, as mentioned, I think crypto will take many forms. To date, the most predominant are cryptocurrencies, which are decentralized stores of value or decentralized utility tokens, etc. Over time, I think the technology will be adopted to an increasing extent to really issue traditional assets, again, whether that's currencies, commodities, real estate, stocks, bonds, in a digital form, and it will all run on the very same rails. There's a number of benefits of that. On one side, you can really... Um, create fragmentation and fractionalization of assets, which you haven't, uh, which doesn't exist in the traditional financial market. Secondly, there's faster settlement rails. Um, most of the technology over time, and there's still some challenges because we're, uh, it's uh, to point out a very early stage technology and there's still a lot of research and development to be made. But there's uh, the view that you can create a fully interoperable exchange whereby you create, you can exchange any digital assets with any digital asset. And the most interesting part, I think, is that this technology enables new form of assets. So what traditionally haven't been financial products, where the classic can be turned into financial products in this new realm. Anything from content to images, as we see in uh, non-fungible tokens, to music, to anything that you can imagine can be turned into digital assets and uh, assign value on a distributed ledger. So where do you think we are on that kind of technology lifecycle with all of that technology you've been talking about? Is it still, yeah. you know, we're very, very, very early in this in this um, adoption we're of new technologies? I mean, an interesting segue, if, um, I published two papers with uh, the University College London, and uh, that was 2015, 2016, looking at the potential of distributed ledger technologies. At the time, they, only didn't, they didn't only call it blockchain because there's different iteration of the underlying technology. But we looked at the challenges limiting widespread adoption. And I think most of these challenges are still present around education, technology, scalability, um, understanding uh, some additional technological factors, etc. That's why we're extremely, extremely early. Um, there's a lot of developments. Uh, we'll have to see how it goes. I was in a conference uh, three weeks ago with one of the most um, active developers, uh, technologies, and industry leaders, and he met a very valid point saying that if you compare blockchain to the internet, we're not anywhere close to 2001, 2002, when you saw the tech bubble, we're much more like um, 1995, 1996, where you see really the early adopters gaining initial exposure, but no real application finding widespread use. And I think given that technology over time exponentially grows and uh, the developments um, exponentially speak of speed, uh, it will be much faster, so we see widespread use, but also the potential of the technology is also more widespread in terms of use cases and industries that it can touch. 
a massive opportunity ahead. So in terms of our podcast is called Interviews with Leaders in Fintech, but we're called Work in Fintech. Fintech, we define in the very broad sense, covering everything from crypto and Web3 through to neobanks, through to capital markets and everything else in between. And as kind of the arrival of Web3 has happened with a big bang in the last you know, year or two, definition of fintech has evolved in itself. How would you define fintech, given that you started, I suppose, investigating and researching blockchain you know, a few years back? You worked in traditional finance, but then actually you kind of followed your passion. You, other people bought into that and actually could see some business use cases. Now you are working in crypto. So how would you kind of define fintech, given your own experience for, for people that are looking at it, who might uh, normally be looking at traditional finance as a career? How do you position fintech as a career? Yeah, I mean, fintech, I think, um, is a futile term as we move into this new wave of uh, digitalization of the world. Like in the day, we looked at the tokenization of the world. So we are of the belief that any asset that can be represented on a digital ledger will be represented on a digital ledger in a digital form and called a digital assets that's hopefully interoperable with a multitude of these. So I think any company over the coming years will be a financial technology company, whether that's through exposure to non-fungible tokens. We see a number of legacy institutions moving into this field now and really making waves and investments in the space. So I think everyone will need a strategy because it allows you to really create new ways of connecting with your customers and end users in any form and in any industry. So I think any company will be a fintech industry or a fintech company um, over the coming decade. And to answer your question around how students should look at it moving into traditional finance, I um, took a traditional approach. I think the best way to get ahead of the competition and really pursue your passion is to choose an area of the industry where you where there's a lot of innovation going on. Because if there's innovation, especially if you look at traditional financial service institutions with um, quite stringent hierarchical structures, it's hard to move up the ladder. However, if you look at anything where there's a lot of innovation and a lot of developments on an ongoing basis, the junior workforce often, given their personal interest, is much more aligned and in sync with the innovation that comes to market than the senior counterparts. And so it really levels the playing field. And the junior person most often knows more than the most senior person in the team. And that's how you really turn around the ladder and uh, create opportunities. And so uh, going back to the companies, you need to choose a team and managers that see that opportunity and see that potential. And they want to use you and leverage your insights into the industry, um, given that everything will be based on digital and the next generation will be more in sync with the digital developments than the older one um, that really helps you scale the organization, uh, find your niche, and then work in that space. That's some great advice. Um, how do you see your journey unfolding? Because you're not 25 or, or thereabouts, you're still very young. Um, and no doubt people of your age are going to live to 100 years old. You know, it's just as life expectancy grows longer, maybe possibly even longer. You might even have a 100-year career, given that you're only five years or so into it at the moment. How do you see that kind of unfolding? And, and where where do you see that 100-year career, let's call it, go from here? Yeah, I mean, I don't plan that long into the future, to be honest. I, I try to live as much in the present as possible, so I don't um, have a real 75-year plan. Having said that, I've been lucky um, all my life today that I've been at the right place at the right time. and. Uh, when I've seen opportunities, I've uh, 
been inclined to take the bigger risk opportunity and just go after it. And so far it's worked out and I hope that it will do, continue to do so in the future. Personally, what I'm currently um, looking at actively is the next iteration of blockchain technology. So moving away from what we see now, more moving into Web3 and how this technology can really impact the way society organizes. So there's a new concept or that's now being spoken about more increasingly called the decentralized autonomous organizations. So I really think that work as we know it will significantly change over the coming decade. People will be able to work in multiple companies and multiple roles at the same time and really not have a strict employer, but be employed by a community. So we see these projects. There's a number of these called uh, DAOs that allow anyone to contribute to the community. And then the community decides who should be rewarded, who shouldn't be rewarded based on their inputs and uh, initiatives they lead within that community. And that's it really being able to create the next wave of organizations that work in a very decentralized and global manner. We're moving and what technology ultimately does is really connect the world to in a global scale and really create this interconnectedness. And I think it'll be extremely interesting to see new business models and new type of organizations that come to market over the coming years. Obviously, there's a lot of challenges on the technology, regulatory side, understanding, etc. But I think that there's a, a, a very big potential around um, organizing society and labor in a more efficient and more transparent as well as more fair way that uh, will create a very, very interesting concept. So I'm staying close to it. It's, I think, again, in a very early stage, but I think it's potentially one of the most interesting segments and use cases of uh, blockchain technologies. It sounds like you've got a very exciting role keeping your fingers on the on the pulse of all this cutting-edge technology. So, Sebastian Whitman, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Matt. It's been great. And then if anyone has an additional question, I'm always available. I can be reached on LinkedIn or you can find my email, I assume in the notes.